Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. My name is Gabe Phillips and it's a huge privilege to have you here this evening. I want to say thank you to Joni and Justin. Wonderful worship. Really good to have you guys here. Um, I'm married to Fiona. If, you, if we have not met, um, we've been married for just shy of four years. We've got a baby girl called Olivia Grace, who is coming up on her first birthday in March. So, um, and one-year-olds don't need presents, but dads do. So just a thought anyway. So I'll let you know. But um, I would love to ask you, if you've got your Bibles here this, this evening, if you, or if you read your, the Bible on your phone, if you've got an app, why don't you turn to Ephesians chapter 3. And while you're doing that, before we get stuck in, we are starting a new series uh, this evening. And it is the series is entitled, just go back one more quickly, Andres, very quickly. The series is entitled, The Best Kept Secret. And for us, this whole series for us is wedged in between Vision Sunday, which is next week, uh, Sunday. We've got this week, and then two weeks after, we're going to finish off this, this little short series that we really believe is going to complement who God is calling us to be. But I don't know about you, but I, I love a good secret. I, I'm a fan of a good secret. Uh, what I mean, I'm not meaning in the sense of uh, gossip, but uh, you know when somebody shares some really good news? Some really, really good news. For example, we've got some friends that we've been trusting will fall pregnant. They've been battling to fall pregnant. We've been praying. And over the last couple of weeks, I've had two couples come and whisper in my ear, say, hey, Gabe, don't tell anyone, but we've fallen pregnant. And you know, there's like those really good secrets. You're like, that's awesome. I just don't know what to do with it. Well, I just want to tell people. I just want to tell people. This is the best news. And uh, I'll go home and I'll share it with my wife. Even though I say I won't tell anyone, my wife and I are one flesh. Just thought I'd let you know so I can share it with you, her, especially if it's good news. Um, but... But not only if it's just good news. I don't know if I, about you, but you know, have you ever been told such a good story? Something like so, 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 so good, so funny, and you just want to share it. And someone's like, no, but you can't share it with somebody. Anyone ever had that? No, let, me, let me give you an example. Um, I went to America last week for, uh, to go visit a few churches and check out a few ministry opportunities in America, what God was doing there. And, uh, and I went, had the privilege to go up just ab- above Rochester, New York, which is uh, by Niagara Falls. And there was an incident that happened to me. That, uh, that led me to phone my wife after it happened. And as I was telling her the story, she was in a fit of giggles and laughter. And uh, I, I, I knew I had to rush to that punchline by saying, Fee, please don't tell anyone the story. But I knew it was not going to happen. The story was so good. It was such a good story to her that she, I know that within seconds, I was getting SMSs from the staff and from Mark saying, hey, buddy, I heard your story. It's like, thanks, thanks, Fee. I really appreciate it. But it was a little fluke because it's such a good story. But before Mark or anyone else gets ahead of me, can I tell you the story? Is that right? Is that okay? We're friends, yeah? Is that right, I suppose? And, uh, and, and, and just I need just one thing clear. This is a secret that stays with us, okay? Is everyone okay with that? Just stays with us. Are you okay with that? Cool, thank you. Good. So as I said, I went up there and on the Saturday afternoon in between a, a Friday ministry and Sunday visiting churches, they, took, they uh, did an incredible favor and took me up with six others, seven in a car, uh, to go and check out Niagara Falls. Now, Niagara Falls was amazing and outstanding. Just, it was a spectacular, much better than the pictures. I was like, this is outstanding. But uh, for me, the story doesn't hinge on Niagara Falls so much, but actually on what happened afterwards. You see, when I got in the car to go home, it was a two-hour drive all the way home. Um, I sat in, the, in a car of seven, and do you know what happens in a car of seven? Seven people pushing into a car. They put the two smallest people at the back, so the 11-year-old and myself were in the back seat. Crunched up with your knees up to here, and just and, and I love it. It's comfortable. You're, you're right back there. I'm fine. Loving it. But the problem was that I had to negotiate in my head the distance from Niagara Falls to home 
slash over the time I had eaten my last meal and when I'd next find a toilet. Anyone ever had that conundrum before? And I remember sitting in the back of the car, and as the car started to drive, I started to saying, I don't want to be that guy, saying, are we there yet? How, how much longer do we have to go? But, but as the, the rumblings of Niagara Falls grew fainter and fainter, the rumblings of Gabe Phillips grew louder and louder, and I started to sweat a little bit. I don't know about you, but I've had the moment where I started to sweat, and I was leaning forward anxiously, leaning forward, and like, as if they were wanting to, I was wanting to hear their conversation. They're like, I'm like, oh, that's wonderful, wonderful. Is it hot in here, or is it just me? <laughs> Can we open up a window, please? And, and I was like, turn up the music, please. It's my stomach, I swear. And, uh, and the, mo- the, the minutes ticked by, and it was, just, it was tough, and it was hard work for me just to, just to keep focus in that moment. But eventually we got to their house, and we pulled into their driveway, and lo and behold, there was multiple cars lined up outside their house because they had invited a whole bunch of young adults to come over for a bride to meet the African preacher. The African guy who's come all the way from Africa. And I thought, oh, not tonight, Lord, not tonight. And I got there and I said, listen, I'm just going to just duck upstairs quickly. So I thought in my wisdom, I'm not going to use the downstairs bathroom, which is right by the lounge. I'm going to go upstairs to the nice, large, clean family bathroom. I thought that made sense, you know. So I rushed upstairs, just waved to everyone, ran upstairs, and, 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 I, and I'll spare you the details because this is church. This is church after all. But, uh, but let's just say that once the bondage of the enemy was lifted off my life, when, when I had been set free from the, the shackles, and I got up, and I was like, oh, I feel much better. Just a load had been lifted. And I started to wash my hands, and I flushed the toilets. And as I was flushing my hands, I looked over and I said, that's strange. In Africa, when we flush the toilets, the water goes down. And I mean, why is it coming up? And I realized this was not an American thing. This was just a me thing in the moment. And I rushed, and the water just stopped just, atop, just on a horizontal plane. Just stopped. And I just looked at it. And what ensued was the, next, the longest two minutes of my life. And the sweat quickly returned. As I started to negotiate, what am I going to do in this situation? So I closed the lid and then opened it again. Still there. And I just stood frozen in time. So I realized the only thing I could do was open the door slightly. And I looked outside and there was the young 11-year-old son up in his room, the only one close enough. The conversation from downstairs, I could hear it and him chattering. So I said, Davy, Davy, come. And Davy came and he, uh, he looks inside and said, this is strange. I'm not often called into the bathroom. I said, does this happen often? This. And he went, no. So in his infinite wisdom, he said to him, why don't we check the cistern? I said, cistern, Davy, Davy, you're onto something. You know, I'm not a plumber, but uh, uh, sometimes you look in the cistern where the toilet's not working. So we lifted the, the, the cistern, and uh, we looked in, and uh, what I found there was there was a plug in, this, in, the, in the cistern. I don't know how toilets work. I've never really wikipedia that thing. Um, I have since this moment, but uh, saved a couple of photos on my phone just in case. But I thought, when you pull a plug out of things, usually that drains the water. Makes sense? But as I pulled the plug without even thinking, the water that had laid stagnant, it stopped at the top. It just started to bubble over. The joy was overflowing. And this was the moment where I, I just started, I did not know what to do, so I just started to laugh. And I backed away in the corner, and I was like, it's done. I don't know. Just water filling up the bathroom floor. Davy just, he turned to me in shock, and he turned out the door and said, Dad! Dad! And the dad sprinted up. He didn't even acknowledge me on my presence. He said, Davy, get the plunger. Davy, this is all happening. At, uh, at, I'm like, can we maybe keep our voices down? <laughs> it's, like, it's fine. You can hear the conversation downstairs getting quiet. So going, 
what on earth is going on? Men running up with plungers. And then I'm just standing in the corner. He says, Gabe, get some towels. So I started laying some towels down. And I, I'm just like, I'm so, so sorry. This doesn't happen often to me. Uh, in Africa, we don't have toilets like this. No, I was just like, it was just one of those moments. And when, once everything had calmed down, they had fixed the toilet, the, the plunger had done its job. The, the, it just seemed things were a bit more calm. They went downstairs. And, and I knew it was almost like, you know, it was like the crowd downstairs are just going, somebody's going to give us an explanation. And I'm standing at the top of the stairs going, can I just go to bed now? Like, do I have to go down? And I eventually plucked up the courage. I thought, what better way to introduce myself to them by telling my story? And I started to go down and say, hi, everyone. My name is Gabe. Let me just tell you what's going on up there. And I told them the story. The secret had to come out. And they just nodded and went, oh, shame, man. Sorry. And uh, obviously, first impressions, uh, uh, you only get one of them. But uh, I don't think I'll be invited back there. But it was wonderful, wonderful time. But as I, thank you. I appreciate that, Jono. Um, some sympathy for someone, but I, I want to say as I told my wife that story, I knew that story wouldn't be kept secret, and, and actually what we're wanting to do this evening in this series, this brief series, is that there's some good news, there's some stories that are so good that we cannot just keep them in. So I'm going to invite you this evening to stand to your feet. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 3 and 7 verses this evening, and uh, please don't judge me. I know you all have your stories. I'm just the only one brave enough to tell mine, so there you go. But we're going to read some scripture together. Why don't we do that right now? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. It says this, And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body, and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving Him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people. Let me just quickly make a quick aside here. In my Bible, I've taken my pen and I've underlined the words least deserving multiple times. I've circled it. I've highlighted it. I need it to be, my attention to be drawn to it. Why? Because this is not some writing of a man far, far off that has no real relationship. We don't understand where he came from. No, no. We know who the author of this letter was. And this man who wrote this letter, he wasn't using some hyperbole or being humble or, or, or just actually saying, listen, no, in general terms, I was the least deserving. No, he was specifically saying, if there was anyone who could have been written off from following Jesus, it was me. And how do we know this to be true? Was because the author, his name was Paul. And actually, if we read about Paul in Acts chapter 7, we find out the first time he appears as the artist formerly known as Saul, he is there giving the thumbs up to Stephen's death, the first martyr, first Christian martyr, Saul was the one saying, go for it. So much so that actually Saul made a living persecuting and murdering Christians. Acts chapter 9, we find him actually going on a business trip, getting ready for his business trip to a place called Damascus. And this business trip wasn't one that would be found in the boardrooms and going over spreadsheets and budgets. No, this was a business trip for him where he would go and he would hunt down, go into homes and hunt down, persecute and drag into the streets anyone who was a follower of the way, a Christ follower, and have them killed. Paul's job was to kill Christians. So I want to tell you this evening, when you see the words least deserving, it reminds me that no one is too far gone. No one is too far gone because the good news for you and I is that God loves to use the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. So much so, I love to say that if you say, Gabe, you don't know what I've done, I'll say this, have you murdered Christians yet? If not, you're good. God can still work with you. And even if you're at the back and you're that awkward guy now going, oh, I didn't think they'd bring that one up. If you've murdered Christians, you're in great company because Paul, with the murder of Christians, wrote half, most of the New Testament. 
So God can use anyone. No one is too far gone. So let me say this up front. I want to put this in the heart. Your history will not determine your destiny. Your backstory will not become the defining story of your life. I want to say that your sin will not have the loudest voice, but His grace will. Can we be a people who start to believe this? Take your pen, underline it, least deserving in your heart. Say that again and again, though I was the least deserving, but God's grace. And we're not trying to minimize sin. We actually want to maximize His grace. Sin is actually a big deal, such a big deal that somebody had to die for it. And he did die. His name was Jesus. So that the least deserving can find a future in him. Let's keep reading. Sorry, got excited. Though I'm the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret. Can you say secret? From the beginning. It was God's intent that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal purpose, which he carried out and accomplished through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. Let's pray before we sit. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father God, that this evening you're pulling back the, 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 the curtain of heaven and you're whispering the mysteries, the secrets of the gospel that have been kept hidden for generations. And you're, you are revealing them to us now in Christ Jesus. Speak, Lord. Our ears are inclined to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Why don't you take a seat? It's really good to be in church this evening. This evening I've pulled out three big points, three big secrets I believe Paul and God are wanting us to understand this evening from this text. Number one, I want you to lean in and understand that, psst, here's the good news, here's a secret. You and I have more authority than we know. You have more authority than you know. The scripture there in Ephesians 3 verse 10 says this, This was God's intent that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God shall be made known. I love this understanding. I just want to walk us through this little passage very quickly. The scripture begins with this word. It says the word, and I've underlined this one in my Bible. It says this three-letter word, N-O-W, now through the church. I don't know if you understand the implication of that word, now. It's not saying not tomorrow. It's not saying when you get all your life together. It's not saying when you get a promotion or when you get your life on track or when you've done the 12-step program. It's not saying when you fasted and prayed. It's not saying when you've done the spiritual rain dance to get his attention. No, he says now. From the moment you and I turn our face to Jesus Christ, from the moment we, we cross over from death to life into life with Christ Jesus, as he moves us from the darkness to his marvelous light, from that moment, from the very first moment you breathe life as a new creation in him, You are given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1 verse 3 tells us. From that moment, from that moment Peter tells us, from that moment you get everything you need for life and godliness. From that moment, from that moment, the Bible tells us that from that very moment, God gives us the Spirit of God in fullness, not in part, but in whole. He gives us the Spirit of God, the great deposit, the great guarantee of our future inheritance. He gives us the Spirit of God from day one. I'm not maturing into a more mature Holy Spirit. No, He's given me the Holy Spirit. The fullness of the kingdom of God, which is in the Holy Spirit, is given to me as a believer from day one. Now! And we have to understand. I want us to lean into the secret of the the kingdom of God, secret of the gospel, that too many Christians allow that word to bypass and say, one day when? 
when the scripture is very clear, Paul calls us and says, lean and lean and I've got something good to tell you. Now. I love this text. It moves on and says, now through the church. Now through the church. Just before I get there, I just love, there's a quote that I read the other day. Reinhard Bonke, the great evangelist into Africa, he wrote this, says, too many Christians don't understand that they have omnipotence at their fingertips. Oh, I love that phrase. It's a good one to write down. Omnipotence at our fingertips. Too many Christians are not unaware. They know, yeah, 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 I, I get Jesus. I get this thing. But it, Paul is writing something saying, now, now through the church, omnipotence at our fingerprints and he says, uh, fingertips. And he says this incredible thing. He says, now through the church. I love the fact that I read the scripture. It doesn't say, now through a church. It doesn't say, now through life changes church. It doesn't say, now through a denomination. Or now through a preacher's ministry, now through a televangelist, or now through a crusade, or now through a revival meeting, or now through a move of God. No, he says now through the church. Come on. Come on. Now through the church, this, this thing that seems very ordinary, God says, I'm going to use my local church, not just any a local church, but my local church. But here's what the actual Greek word there is, now through the ecclesia, E-C-C-L-E-S-I-A, the ecclesia. The church understanding there was not our Western mindset now of a church as a building we go to on Sunday or an event that happens on, on a Sunday or a different day of the week. No, the church is you and I, those people who've been called out as Christ followers. That's who we are. People, that, it says now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God will be made known. I, I want us to understand this, that actually you and I, if you look to the left or to the right of you, if they are a Christ follower, that is who Paul is talking about. He's not talking about some super spiritual apostle who's dwelling on the top of a mountain. He's saying now through the church. I love this. Let's move on for time's sake. He says now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God shall be made known. Now let me tell you very quickly, I love this fact. It says the manifold wisdom. Let me explain. There's two types of wisdom that the writers in the, in the, in the scriptures talk about the, when they talk about the wisdom of God. There's got the simple wisdom of God. And then there's the manifold wisdom of God. Let me tell you the difference. The simple wisdom of God you'll find in one of the first few pages of Genesis, the first few pages of the Bible, where he said God created everything out of nothing. When God stood up and said, let there be light, and light obeyed him. Poof! When he said, Alps, Andes, Himalayas, Everest, up, poof, and mountains up, exploded up from the ground and were soared to the heavens. When valleys plunged low and the Grand Canyon came to existence at, because of the word of his mouth. When he spoke and stars came into being. When he spoke and all creation, big, big and small, came into being. That was his simple wisdom. His simple wisdom was creation. Here's the amazing thing. When Paul is talking about here the manifold wisdom, he's not talking about the simple wisdom. He's talking about something more profound. And actually what that is, most, every commentator agrees that the manifold wisdom of God is this, the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ that comes and takes dead things and makes them come alive. The good news of Jesus Christ that angels long to look into, that the prophets of old for generations could only see dimly through a, through a veil. But the gospel has become made new to you and I. This is the secret power of God. The power of God is the gospel. This is the manifold wisdom of God, the simplicity but the profound nature that Jesus takes dead things and makes them alive. Now through the church, the manifold wisdom will be made known. I want to tell you a quick story to highlight this. Is there's a, 
there's a, a family who've uh, joined us at the Milton congregation, and I got to hear the story in whole from in reverse order last week. But this family, a mom who uh, was once married 12 years ago, and she got married to a man, a, Jew, a man of Jewish origin, um, and, and she had to actually turn her back on her family ways and convert to Judaism to marry, her, marry him. And then she did this, but just a few years into it, um, they got divorced, and, and the full weight of that divorce was put onto her. The full blame was actually, it was your fault. And, uh, and, and because of the rejection, the brokenness, there's a lot of pain, and, uh, and she's pulled that into her next relationship. She's got married again, and she's got three sons. And uh, one of those sons, um, in, in her brokenness state, she was, she's felt very broken. And the big question that came up was actually saying she felt that she, because of this pain that was going on in their lives, her one son was really struggling at school. So she said, actually, the one thing I need at the moment is we need a tutor for my son. So she got a phone, and she found, found a few friends, and because of some contacts, she, she got linked with a, a, a tutor who goes by the name of Monique, who actually is a Christ follower in the Life Changer story. And I love, I love the way that God works, that he's got agents of omnipotence at work. God's got agents of an omnipotence. And this girl goes and starts tutoring him in, in, in math, science, and the high school subjects, but little does he know, she's, let me just say it up front, this is, she's a very ordinary girl in the natural. She's a, nothing, there's nothing profound about her. She's just a, a beautiful, God-fearing girl. But she went in to be a tutor. But she went in knowing that she's got omnipotence at her fingertips. And she started to tutor him, started to tell her uh, the story to him and started to befriend him. She ended up going on a holiday to Thailand with him. This is a good family to tutor for, obviously. Um, and uh, the amazing thing is in the story, she then invited this teenage boy to our youth group on the Fridays, and he started to find friends and get connected. And then uh, in December, he made a decision for Christ. He moved from death to life. Radical moment where the Spirit of God uh, does it inside of him. The next part of the story is that he went home and started to tell his parents about this change in his heart and said actually uh, to his parents saying, I think you guys need to come to church. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay, no, we, uh, probably a good idea. But um, they didn't come at Christmas, just didn't work out. But two weeks ago, they, 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 they came to church when Wayne Bartz was preaching on work. On work, okay? <laughs> she sat at the back, they sat at the service, and the whole way through the service, she just wept. She wept and wept uncontrollably, not understanding what's going on. And Wayne was preaching on work, okay? This was not, not answering the great desires of her soul. He was teaching her, talking about work. But God has another agenda because he's actually, I'll, I'll, I'll say what I need to say to individuals. And at the end of the meeting, they wept and, and just God was doing stuff. Last week they came, at the end of the meeting, the, the couple came forward and then he said, actually, I, I think I need to get baptized. She came forward and while we were talking, she was just crying and crying. I said, that's awesome, sir. Ma'am, what's going on with you? Why, what's going on? Why are you crying like this? And she said, I don't know. And she started to tell us, say, she said, actually, there's an ache in my soul. There's a hole here that I've tried to fill with so many things, but I just, I'm so empty. I'm so, I'm done. I don't know where else to turn. And I said, ma'am, I've got great, uh, great, great news for you. I've got, a, I've got a solution. For that pain, I've got a solution. And I got to explain the gospel. And I got said, actually, you know what? I, I'd love to pray for you and, and for, for God to change your heart right now. Now? Now? I'm like, yep, the Bible says now. Not, I'm not going to give you a course. I'm not going to give you a book. I'm going to say, I'm going to introduce you to the author of life. And in that moment, in a simple prayer, God came and did something. She turned her back on his old, her old ways and opened her heart to Jesus. I saw in front of me, bones start to rattle. 
as the prophet Ezekiel said, I see, he said, valley of, valley of dry bones. And he says, prophesy to these bones. I started to see a woman that was dead start to come alive before my eyes. And at the end of this, it says, as the tears started to flow, but different tears now, tears of joy. She says, I've never felt like this before. I've never felt like this before. She uttered these words that I think will stick me, with me forever. She said, thank God I needed a tutor in September. I'm like, come on, come on. God has got agents of omnipotence, not, not preachers, not, not churches. He uses those people, but actually he wants to use the church. Now through the church, he wants to put us in places to start to understand that we have more authority than we know. But here's the implication this evening as we move swiftly through, is this, that actually knowing you have authority is not enough. We have to exercise it. Knowing that you have authority is not enough. You have to exercise it. And here's the, the kicker for, for us, I believe, tonight, is that if you can be obedient when no one is looking, he'll give you favor when everyone's looking. Too many people live going, you know, this, 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 this myth of saying, hey, that preacher, he's anointed. He's anointed. I don't even know if we all, any, any of us really know what we're talking about. And I'm, uh, but actually, can I tell you what anointing simply boils down to in a new covenant lens? is somebody who's been obedient. Because God says, actually, I put my spirit in you. If you step out, I'll pour out my authority and anointing. Actually, this is what it looks like. If we can be obedient in the small, in the seemingly, when the hidden things, God says, I'll give you favor when everyone's looking. I believe God is tonight. He is, he's starting to awaken hearts and he's going, psst, psst. You have more authority than you know. Let's move on this evening for time's sake. Second point this evening from this text is not only do you have more authority than you know, you have more access than you know. You have more access than you know. The scripture there says, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can come boldly and confidently into God's presence. This is what I've been dying to say all day. Just even congregation. Forgiveness was not the aim of the cross. Forgiveness was the means of the cross to get us to the aim. Forgiveness of sins is beautiful, but I tell you, too many Christians are going, I have been forgiven, but forgiven for what purpose? 1 Peter makes it very clear when he says this, Christ died, the righteous for the unrighteous, once and for all. Why? To bring us to God. Here's the implication. We have access to God this sounds like such a silly thing to say from a pulpit, but I don't think it's, it's said enough that actually he has a great secret. You get God himself. You don't just live off benefits. You get him, the giver of the benefits, the giver of life. You get God. And this thing just blows my mind. And I want to get just a little bit of just teaching very quickly. So if you've got a pen or paper, just write these scriptures down so you go and check it home. But the Bible begins in Genesis 1. Did you know that the heavens and the earth were created at the same time? They were not separate. There was not the heavens go further back, further back, and now let's create the earth. No, they were created one, so much so that God and man walked in the cool of the day together. This was, heavens and earth were created like this, so much so that when God created Adam, the prototype male, the, the, the heavens representative God met with earth's representative Adam, and Adam's existence came into being with the father face to face, lying, breathing his life from him. Heaven and earth inextricably linked. Heaven and earth were one. We were meant to engage with both realities. But sin comes into our lives, and what it comes after is Gnostic thinking that starts to separate the two. I'm a physical being trying to become spiritual. And we start to live in existence where we start shouting down to God or saying these prayers and going, hey, you know, I need to send a prayer up to the man upstairs. 
as if he's this far-off God who can't, who, who's like, oh, I hope they pray loud enough. No, no, no. Actually, what happens then is in Genesis 1 verse, uh, Genesis chapter 28, a man named Jacob has a dream. He falls asleep, has a dream that becomes a, a hinge point in Jewish uh, religious thought is that he has a dream that there was a ladder connecting earth to heaven. And there's angels and, uh, ascending and descending on it. And the people love this narrative so much so that it was one of the blessings they prayed that actually there's a ladder joining heaven and earth. We've got, we've got the ability for earth and heaven to be joined. It's amazing, exciting stuff. And for us in our culture, we might like, okay, that, that sounds cool. But I want to tell you where it gets really real is that Jesus comes. And in John chapter 1, Jesus, one of the first things that Jesus does is he says these words. He explains it to one of his earlier followers. He says, you will see heaven open. And you'll see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, the one who is a stairway between heaven and earth. Jesus uses language. I'll tell you, he got there before Led Zeppelin. Stairway to heaven. He got there before. But here's the thing. Jesus uses language that's so familiar to a Jewish audience. The ladder between heaven and earth. Jacob's ladder. They get it. They get it. He says, actually, I am that ladder. I am that ladder. That's so much so that Jesus came. And here's the word that I would love to teach you tonight. It's the word called hypostatic union. That means when Jesus came, he came fully God and fully man. He didn't come as a man and then go, oh, I'm God. I didn't actually work that out at some age. No, fully God and fully man. Why? Why is that so huge for you and I? Because in that moment, he came as God's heavenly representative and earth's representative, and he made heaven and earth one again. So much so that in Ephesians 1 verse 10, this is good preaching. Thanks, Mary. I appreciate that. Ephesians 1 verse 10 says this. This is God's purpose that he's going to bring heaven and earth and everything in between underneath him under the authority of Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ has brought heaven and earth together. There should be no separation. So much so. Let's make this practical now. Is that maybe you're sitting here and you've had these moments. I've had them where I go during worship tonight or other moments. I feel so close to God. But then there's other moments where just in the day and there's busyness or I lose my temper or I haven't really been doing well or reading the Bible. Or just things are going busy and I'm like, I feel far from God. Okay, I tell you, let me let you in a secret. That language should not be uttered by Christ followers. And it's not an imposition on yourself and your ability to walk close with God. Because as the scripture behind me says, it says, because of Christ and faith in him, we can boldly come into God's presence. How this is so amazing for you and I, because it's not our ability to hold on to God. It's not because actually it's God's ability to hold on to us through Christ Jesus. He says so much so, he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Let me make it even clearer. There's scripture you might have heard um, preached before where guys say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. I, I always had the misnomer that that word meant that the kingdom of God was coming closer and closer and closer as in linear, timeline. No, no, but actually it was a, a, a pictorial culture where it says the kingdom is at hand means the kingdom is at hand. It's here, within reach. Omnipotence at our fingertips. They're saying the kingdom is here. It's arrived. It's within reach. And this is what we have to understand. And to illustrate this point, I have a, a story that I've been keep, keeping in the back pocket for many years. When I was a youngster, I, I used to love cricket, and I went to Harare Sports Club every test match that came along our path. And one day in the 90s, the Proteas arrived with their, their all-star team with Sean Pollock, John T. Rhodes, Daryl Cullinan, Gary Curson, and, and the like. And, uh, and I grew, joined the, the throng of young guys who every day would be there at the test match. And as they walked up to the change room, I'd have our little bats and, and posters. Sign, Polly, Polly, I've got red hair too. And uh, I thought that was my link to the man, you know. And, you know, some of us would get an autograph and go, oh, and they'd go inside. 
There was such excitement. Um, this one moment, one day, it started to rain at the, at the, during the play, and the players came off, the covers went on. And I knew, knew Harari Sports Club backwards. I knew if I just went around the back of, of the toilets, I can find a little aftaki, and I can find some dry ground for a while and hang on to my little bat and little pen and just stand there quietly till the rain subsided. Little did I know that this time, Sean Pollock was out there cleaning out his kit bag or doing something of the sort. And as I came around, I came face to face with Sean Pollock himself. Just the two of us. Just the two of us. And our eyes met, and uh, he said, you're redhead. I said, no, he didn't say that. But um, my son. Um, no, he did not say that. But what he did say to me, he said, hey, 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 don't have to. As I came out, maybe it was sure it felt pity because I was looking a bit of like a drowned rat at that stage. But, he, but whatever it was, was his motivation. He said, hey, no, no, don't worry about it. Come, why don't you come with me? Come with me. Come this way. And he led me through past the throng of those wildly clamoring young boys. And I walked out and hey. I walked to all these guys going, how oh, the heck did he get there? And past security, a security said, hey, what's this guy doing? Sean Pollock said, hey, don't worry, he's with me. And I got to walk right into the change room, believe it or not, and I played true story. Um, I watched Daryl Cullinan play table tennis with Adam Bacher on the physio's table. That might mean nothing to you, but it was big for me. Anyway, but here's the point of the story, is that actually my access was, I'm with him. I'm with him. Didn't deserve it, the least deserving, but actually I'm with him. And here's the great understanding for you and I. Because of faith in Christ, Christ and the faith in him, we get to every day say, I'm with him. The enemy can come and say, actually, you don't deserve to come to God. You don't deserve to ask God that. You don't deserve to lean into God. You don't deserve to have his favor. You go, yeah, I know, I'm least deserving, but I'm with him. You don't have to point to your own righteousness. You don't have to point to your own qualifications to get in. You say, I'm with him. The kingdom's at hand. We just have to hold on to him. This is it. We have more access than we know. Finally, this evening, as we land this time, you have more authority, you have more access, but it'll cost you more than you know. I longed, I must be honest, I, when I started to get, put this preach together, I was stopping at the end of verse 12 because it was a nicer way to stop. That's just, that was nice, no? Boldness and confidence, we can come to God. Great. That's a nice place to land. The problem is the stanza Paul writing finishes in verse 13. So I was like, oh, I suppose I've got to be true to the word. Someone's got to do it. So verse 13, it's like this bizarre little ending. And this Paul is leaning in and telling basically the church in Ephesus the mysteries of the universe to a church. He's pulling back the, the lens and saying, now God says, this is his plan. Now through the church, the manifold wisdom will be made known. You'll be able to walk with boldness and confidence into the very throne of God. And you've got authority. You've got access. It's like, the, oh, this is amazing. Here's the thing. Paul wasn't writing this from some mystical retreat on a mountaintop, and he was hovering with Yoda next to him going, pin this down, Yoda. Now through the church. No, no, no. He wasn't doing that. He hadn't just come off some great uh, time off with and hanging out with Oprah and every other influential person. No, 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 no. Paul was writing this text from a prison cell. This beautiful invitation to the very throne room of God. He was writing from a prison cell where he was beaten, bloodied and bruised and forgotten and lying in the dirt. And he was penning these words, trying to get the heartbeat of God to a people. This is the understanding for you and I. He's not trying to whoop us up on the charismatic Kool-Aid. I'm not here today trying to tell you, you can do it, come on. I'm telling you, this is the secret. God says, because of Jesus, you have more authority than you know. You have more access than you know. But let me hasten to add, any gospel that doesn't tell you of the cost is no real gospel. Because let me tell you how Paul's story ended. The man who wrote these beautiful words, he died, tradition tells us, 
by having his head chopped off. Bah. This man who wrote this stuff. Let me tell you another, another guy. Uh, most of Jesus' disciples, bar one, died with persecution. Boiled in oil. Hung upside down on the cross for their faith. A man named John the Baptist, who Jesus himself said, that man, John, no man greater born of woman. So basically saying that's the, that's the best human beside, that's the best human. That guy, John the Baptist, he's the best. You all fall short, but he's the best of the worst. Tim, it's a nice thing to get, huh? No greater man born of woman. Put that on a coffee mug. It's like, looks cool in the morning. Pep you up. That's John. And John is an amazing guy because when Jesus arrives, he, does, he says this. He says, Jesus, you must increase. I must decrease. And he starts from that moment, he starts to tell his disciples, go follow Jesus. I was just here, but a forerunner. It's him. It's him. It's him. This is a, an incredible man. But John in the story, he runs foul of Herod. And Herod, the king of the day, gets him and throws him in prison, waiting death. And now all of a sudden, John does what every single one of us would have done. Starts to go, is this really true? So John sends words with his disciples to Jesus saying, please go ask Jesus, is he really the one? Is he really the Messiah? It's this nervousness comes over the man, no man greater born of woman. John, like, actually, is this, is this true? Is it worth it? Is my suffering here worth it? And Jesus, being Jesus, doesn't even go and visit John. I just love Jesus. He's so hardcore. He doesn't even go and visit him and come and say, I bought some lint chocolates, 85%. Know that you're on a health kick. No, no, no. Jesus doesn't even come visit. What he does is he says, tell John. He tells his disciples, sends them back. Go tell John. And he quotes John uh, 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 from the, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. And John knows the prophet Isaiah well. Why? Because the prophet Isaiah prophesied about John's birth. So this, he knows Isaiah's prophecies. And Jesus says, tell John. He has to quote the prophet. That the blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, the lame are walking, and the dead are coming back to life. Amazing. Basically saying, yes, I am the one. But here's the problem, is that Jesus didn't finish the quote from Isaiah. Because actually the quote from Isaiah says this, when the Messiah comes, the, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will walk, the dead will come back to life, and the prisoners will be released from their prison. So Jesus says to John, I'm the one, but you're going to die in there. For me. John died in there. Let me tell you this evening, I'm not here to, to now leave you on a bummer. <laughs> they all died. Tough luck. See you next week. I do believe, though, that there needs to be an understanding that this gospel is free, but it's not cheap. It demands my life, my soul, my all. And actually, there needs to be some deaths in our hearts. For us to live, there needs to be some deaths to respectability. There needs to be some deaths to being understood. There needs to be some deaths to trying to, con trying to control people's response. Ultimately, there needs to be a death to self in us if we're going to walk in the fullness that Jesus has for us. So much so that Colossians 1 verse 27, Paul summarizes to a different church. He basically summarizes this whole passage we read by leaning and saying, this is the very, the NLT says, this is the secret, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So let me tell you this, that Christ is inside of you. You have more authority than you know. Let me tell you, Christ is inside you. You have more access than you know. But here's the bigger thing. Christ is inside you. You have more responsibility than you know. To a world that is dying and in desperate need, there's so many, not just one woman saying, I've got emptiness. There's hundreds and thousands, and there's, but God is releasing agents of omnipotence who will walk and say, I've got Christ in me, and I want Christ to come out of me so that we can meet the needs of people around me.
This is the call of the gospel. This is the secret God is calling us into. This evening, as we take communion together, I want to drive us to the table of grace. I want to push us towards these communion emblems. And this evening, as we take communion, as we pray and land this moment, not in a rah-rah fashion and running out, I want to drive us to our knees. Why? Because actually, the last letter to the church in Ephesus wasn't written by Paul. It was written by another disciple named John. It was found in the book of Revelation chapter 2. And he's echoing the, the, word, the spirit of God's words to this church, Ephesus. His church in Ephesus. You heard the gospel. You heard the secrets of the kingdom, the mystery, the manifold wisdom of God. And I've seen your good deeds. I've seen your works. I've seen your efforts. But I have this against you. You've forsaken your first love. The last words written to the church in Ephesus was actually not about the authority or the cost. Or, it was actually about, come back to me. Because in Christ, we get everything. So this evening, I want us to land, not with rah, rah, but actually saying, Jesus, I need you. I weigh up the cost and I say, you're worth it. And for us to realize who we've been called to be. Let's pray. Father, in this moment, before we take communion together, I thank you, God. That you're speaking. You're pulling back the curtain. You're pulling back unbelief. You're pulling back doubt. You're pulling back the excuses of I'm the least deserving. You're pulling back even self-righteous thoughts of actually, no, I've heard this before. I thank you, Father God, as you pull back that curtain the, 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 and you start to whisper and you say, Psst, you have more authority than you know. Psst, you have more access than you know. Psst, this will cost you more than you know. Demands everything. Father, as you speak to our hearts, I thank you in this moment, you drive us back to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added. Let's take communion together. I'm going to ask, got communion at the front, left and the right, communion on the back as well. Let's do that together. If you can come out, get out your seats quickly. These tables are open to all. If you're a believer in Christ, this is, this is our moment to come and celebrate the goodness of our King. Let's do that. If you can take the emblems, find your way back to your seat. We'll pray one more time, take communion, and then we'll be gone. We'll be done in a couple minutes. So as you get the emblems in your hand, we'll just wait for a few more people. Our belief, along with the, the traditional belief of the church, is that these emblems you hold represent the body and the blood of Jesus. Let me say that. They don't become the body and blood of Jesus. They aren't the literal body and blood. They represent the body and blood. But here's the amazing thing. It's the blood for us, the representation of the blood that washes us clean, white as snow. It's, the, it's our access point. It's the, it's the power of God, the blood of Jesus, the body that makes us whole, the broken body of Jesus Christ that makes us whole completely. But here's the amazing thing for us. We don't have to hold on our strength. Our confidence is not in the emblems of, of, that are representing something. We actually have the fullness within us, Christ. The resurrected king with holes in his hands. He's calling you and I to believe us, believe in him for the fullness that he has for us. As you take communion tonight, yield your heart to him and say, Jesus, I'm going to start believing the fullness of your gospel, a gospel of power, a gospel of authority, a gospel of access, a gospel of cost. 
but I bow my knee. I'm going to give us 30 seconds. Do business with God. And let's take the communion together. Repent if you need to. Father, in the, in the quietness and the sobering moment where there's nothing else, just you. In this moment, God, I, I pray for myself, for my family, we'll be a people who would not forsake our first love. I'll be a man that would die to respectability. I'll die to the opinions of man. I'll die to self, my desires, my things that are, are not of you, Father God, tonight as I come to the cross and see you there, my crucified Savior. Thank you, Father God, you're inviting me in afresh, though I'm the least deserving. You're so kind that your blood and your body have made a way for me to walk into authority and access like I've never known. I choose to pick them up tonight.